0: This is the Final Whistle Podcast from the Wrexham AFC media team. Hello, I'm Mark Griffiths from Wrexham AFC and welcome to another hashtag Ask Wrexham podcast, a podcast where we look to answer your questions. We use the hashtag on Twitter on match days and it's a fantastic way to interact with you guys but you have embraced it so much and made it what it is that we end up with lots of brilliant questions we don't get round to and also there are some which are such great answers that questions that even though we answer them in the broadcast we think it's probably worth going over it again with a different audience so here goes right firstly streaming um chris Michener says great news oh i can't i'm not close enough to the screen i can't read it great great news on the new broadcasting stream any idea how other countries american flag Can stream the matches. Well, as far as I'm aware, there there is no geo blocking or anything on this. This is a international and (coughs) local fans alike can stream it. In fact, if you have a look on the club website, we now do have the details of the streaming soft launch. So the Eastley game will be the first one. The key things to understand from this, and please remember, this is the key thing remember, this is no longer now Wrexham player providing streaming. So you've got to register with the National League and also uh, any comments, concerns or problems on the day. You've got to go to them now, not us. Uh, but that basically is what the situation is for the moment. It says it's a two week soft launch with a uh, discounted price of £4.75. So yeah, that seems to be what it is. So you know, I hope it satisfies you all. There's a few more questions on streaming as well. Uh, Because Paul Bell says, with the announcements of the streaming option, are are we all going to be the play-by-play announcers? That's the Wrexham Player audio commentary team um, for the live stream as well. Or are we going to have to need what we do in matches on ESPN and use Wrexham Player for audio while streaming the video? Well, I'm pretty sure that the audio commentary team will not be doing the commentaries on the streaming I, the away games i now assume it's well i'm sure it will now be the away that the home team's commentates. so i assume it'll be eastley's commentary on saturday with the home games well we have a great media team we have lots of other people who do commentaries and so it'll be the other dedicated members of the media team who i'm sure will be doing those commentaries and we will stick to the audio commentaries so it's a different skill and we're quite well established now so there may be some crossover occasionally i'm sure but generally yeah we we, in the home games we've got our own excellent team who can handle that um topher says um is the thought that this international national league interest is fleeting will this interest be in league two if wrexham increase Uh, does it make sense for the national league to care about international fans Uh, who won't be there in six months. That's an interesting one, isn't it? That um, I think it's reasonable to say that Wrexham has been the catalyst for streaming to happen. No no question about that. Uh, Although I wouldn't say we are on our own in this. I mean, clubs like Notts County have also been very enthusiastic to offer something to their fans. Um, I certainly think that's true in the sense that I mean there's this massive eruption of support for Wrexham across the world has come about because of Wrexham not because of National League football now there's always I think going to be a this is a terrible word to use residue of support I think for the National League because a lot of people have looked at it and thought oh, this, is, this is interesting and fun and authentic which I think is the great strength of low league football in Britain you know you watch a VAR game on the World Cup or in the Premier League and you don't know uh, when a goal goes in, whether it'll stand or not, you don't know whether to celebrate it or not. In a National League game, you watch the game, ball goes in, you can look at the ref, look at the lines when you know whether it's a goal or not. You can actually celebrate, you can feel the emotions. Um, so, you know, there's a lot to be, ha- to be liked about lower division football. But, if you've come to support Wrexham, chances are that your support would remain with that club, I would have thought. So, yeah, I wonder if that's part of the National League's reluctance to embrace this. Uh, they feel that if we go up, maybe there won't be such an appetite for this. I don't know. There's an interesting point here. You know, Mark Griffiths, that's not me, that's a different Mark Griffiths, um, uh, uh, put out a, a comment basically about how we're getting some grief over the streaming. Um, I, I've got to assume, I haven't seen it myself, and I would assume... That we are getting grief from just like fans of banter and jealous banter, which is fine. Uh, You know, I think that's part of the fun of being a football fan, isn't it? Winding up other side's fans as long as you're doing it nicely. Um, I don't think there's been any serious criticism of us, but I think this does raise an important point. uh, Because it talks about how our model, the Wrexham model, which was rejected until uh, they could put their own stream up, was basically Wrexham would just share the profits 100% if we were allowed to do it and not keep anything for ourselves because we were quite happy with that and the reason this has come up on Ask Wrexham because Mark didn't put it on Ask Wrexham he does correspond with us is because Pamela RWK did and brought in this beautiful analogy and uh, listeners to the commentary will be aware of our half time pork pie fetish let's not call it anything else that's what it is um, and she said, so a us for the perfect analogy for us offering to give away everything and our National League bringing in their own system, which of course doesn't offer everybody all the money. Um, she says, so Wrexham AFC bring lots of pork pies to the party for everyone. The host of Anurama National League decides not to share equally, even giving pies back to Wrexham, which already has plenty and deprives hungrier teams of more to eat. Yes, it's Wrexham's greed. Well, you know what? That is not only the perfect analogy, it's so correct. You yeah? know, I mean we offered to give all the money away. We offered to give nothing, to take nothing from streaming. And instead of different systems being put in place. Like Okay, yeah, fine. Uh, there's loads of debate about this, and we've done it a million times, but I think that's a lovely analogy. Um Dave Chilcott said patiently, waiting for information on how to access the soft launch of the the streaming platform. I've got to say, I apologise, normally I do this on Tuesdays. I've had to wait till Thursday this week. I'm quite glad that it's just it's been a come out. So we're, wait no more, Mr Chilcott. The soft launch may not be a bad name for Wrexham's pre, pre-match live commentary. What do you say, media team? I like this. The soft launch, ease yourself into the match day with uh, non-related chat <laughs> and general bull. I think that's beautiful. I think I may adopt that. Um Paul Bell, Nanim. Uh, linked to uh, broadcast says is there a reason that all games are played at the same time and day of the week and not staggered for media coverage in a league? Um does this change as you go up the leagues is there hope that next year we won't have to wake up to listen to games at 4 30 a.m next year uh well if we go up it's it would be roughly the same i mean in britain we are attached to the idea of football 3 30 or three o'clock on a saturday despite the fact that ironically um that wasn't necessarily always the case wrexham for a long time in the past, kicked off at 315, for example, to fit in with minor shifts so they could get out of the mines, do their after their morning shift and get to the game. Anyway, that's that's by the by. Um so basically it was always if a game's not on TV, it's at three o'clock on a Saturday if it's a midweek game. And generally that, that is still the case. Now there's widespread coverage of the Premier League, obviously. But even so you'll still find at least half the games take place on Saturday at three o'clock and the rest are moved around. Some leagues don't do that, of course. La Liga tries to spread all their games so that except for in the early points of the season when it's very hot and you can't really play sort of morning, midday games and they have to sort of double some up, they try to make sure the games are spread equally so you could theoretically watch every single game in a weekend in La Liga. But Britain's never done that never done that except when Amazon came in a couple of years ago and they did this thing where they'll have two weekends a season where they'll spread it all out over a few days um, but Britain has never done that so it's only televised games and there'll be more televised games if you go up to League Two or should I say there'll be more League Two games televised there might not be more Wrexham games televised necessarily so I probably think it'll be roughly the same there will be interest in us as Robin Ryan's team and we will get some live coverage Well, I think it'll be roughly the same as now, as we are in media terms. I'm not trying to make any arrogant statements about anything else, but in media terms, big fish in a small pond. The people are interested in seeing Wrexham at the moment. So I don't think it'd be too different, to be honest with you. Um, Pamela again says, um, does York City, Ah, now this is all about the the issues last weekend at York. Does York City not trust um, its fans to behave with visitors in town? The memo to local businesses should have infuriated them. They want away money and refusal of service only harms them. But you can see what kind of hooligans Rexham are. Hope they pick up the, their trash. <laughs> well, I'm not too sure we do, actually. Um, they <clears throat> I mean, there's two ways of looking at this. It was uh, the police, I believe, wasn't it, who, who issued the statement saying to, to pubs check postcodes and eject people. Um, I would assume that in general although I know I've heard examples of this not happening that you know landlords would judge this on the basis of do these people look like they're going to cause trouble um for example my father who followed Wrexham well into his 80s would come to the away games with me and he'd try and get a ticket in like the main stand for away games which would be where the home fans were and was only ever refused entry once at Oldham this old man with white hair and, and a walking stick and uh, they said, oh, you're from Wrexham, they recognise his accent and wouldn't let him come into the main stand, which was bizarre. So, you know, generally, I think uh, that attitude applies across all businesses, doesn't it? For, you know, generally, they'll be all right with you. There may be, as I say, there's been some recorded instances of people being difficult to to harmless Wrexham fans who gone to York for the weekend. I'm sure that would be an exception, I would hope so. Um, there is, of course, another very important point to make here which is about the small minority of Wrexham fans who have caused trouble. And the club have worked very hard to try and reduce that as much as possible. But the truth is that their behaviour does have repercussions for the rest of us. So, for example, you know there was trouble against Oldham. There's been trouble at a few matches. It seems to not be happening in the grounds really anymore because of the club's efforts. But we could have been given more seats at Oldham. But the local police said, no, we don't want an extra 500 Wrexham fans in town because we have now sadly developed a a reputation for causing problems likewise york you know i've been to york so many times in the past there's been no announcement like this but this time there was so I, i i can sort of understand caution in a way as well because sadly a small group of people who claim to be supporters of the club do things that damage the club and damage the ability of other fans to go to games Or indeed, just to have a normal, nice time of it at a game. So, yeah, that's the reason why as well, isn't it, really? Um, Topher says, who was the last Dragon to score against York? I'll tell you and I'll show you. Leo Smith, young lad, came through the ranks. This is the only senior goal he scored for Rexham. What a lovely finish. Rexham winning 3-1 there back in 2017. Last time we actually went to York as well lovely lad Leo fluent Welsh speaker you don't get that many fluent Welsh speakers and for Wrexham to be honest with you Um and Dean Keats thought a lot of him brought him through Uh, but he didn't quite kick on as I think maybe Wrexham had hoped he went out on loan and, and did well but he didn't quite achieve what he might have hoped to at Wrexham I think it's unfortunate Uh, I I think it's a few players like that who are unfortunate if they'd been at Wrexham and the budget was bigger Wrexham probably would have hung on to them for a couple more years look at how we're bringing young players in now and retaining young players and the tranche of young players who were given professional contracts last summer that was much more than usual Uh, so we are trying to Back those sort of players now. Sadly, Leo was a couple of years older than that, and therefore we didn't hang on to him. He has been tearing it up in the League of Wales, though. So, you know, good lad, and uh, I'm sad that he didn't quite make it with Wrexham. He is a, a talent, and I wish him extremely well, as we all do. Christa Berger says, um, "How does Parky's win ratio compare with all the other manager stats?" Well. I'll just tell you Chris I'll show you so win ratio best in the history of the club he's won 62% of his games that's uh kind of tasty isn't it let's be honest I want to add a slight codicil as well here because Sam Ricketts of course now for those of you who aren't acquainted with Sam Ricketts not a popular man at Wrexham came in uh had well what at the time was the shortest reign of a Wrexham manager um which was then followed by his assistant manager who had an even shorter time at the club, uh, really derailed what looked like a a realistic promotion challenge. Um, He left to go to Shrewsbury, Wexham's rivals. There's lots more to that story. Let's just say you can imagine how badly that went down. Um, He has an impressive record, but I've got to say, look, he's only had 25 games. So although he's, I've I've put it in there because I've kept in all the players, the managers' records, but let's be honest here, over 25 games i wouldn't say that's a, a, an accurate reflection i mean look at how many morel had in charge for example um so although ricketts is second in that i, I personally would consider morel to be an next figure because he sustained a similar rate of wins uh, as a for a much longer time also uh, if you look at it parkinson's a fair distance ahead of ricketts as well i mean he's uh, done ever so well and the other point is when we look at the second column ricketts is the only player lower than him in terms of loss percentage because i've gone down the rest of the table i haven't put a uh, that top five in but basically it's similar to that um although dean keats comes in fairly high um but Yeah, I mean, Ricketts didn't play many games. Didn't have many games, rather in charge. So again, I'd be inclined to say that that sixteen percent is remarkable compared to a player like a manager like Andy Burrell, who had a terrific record with the club. So yeah, Parkinson's done all right. To be fair to all that. Now, Jared and I'll point out beforehand he's quite right to to say at the bottom he's using soccer he knows full well it's football but just to avoid confusion so I'll I'll say that in in Jared's defense first as an American who's loved and fallen out of love with soccer over the years I agree the need for high scores in any sport is what we expect because we talked during the match of the concept of high and low scoring games and games of draws Uh, which can be alien in some American sports. I've since wised up and accept that if it's by 1 or 20, a win is a win. And any game except a loss is a win (laughs) in in soccer. I like that. I like that. That, Um, Yes, I agree. I mean, look at me. I'm ancient. So I can remember the, the sort of 94 breakthrough days of American soccer where there used to be a lot of weird stuff in the media now i think part of that is fear of the sort of interloper sport coming in maybe you know maybe not feeling comfortable some people with that being successful um i think there's a certain sort of aggressive style of of journalism in in parts of american sports as well i used to be into boxing quite a bit and, and read a lot of boxing journalism which was very high standard by the way um and also would reflect that sometimes and you would see some very odd um sort of denigrations of football almost like it was a a sort of crusade that the, the American journalists have to reject this thing. The, the main one I always remember and was commonly cited was football's not a real sport because you can't use your arms. And sport has to be a sort of a holistic experience where you can use any part of your body, which, I, I mean, bewilders me, really. I mean, that is so illogical and nitpicking. And cool, you use your arms anyway. And uh, baseball hitter can't use their body can they well they can't be seen to use their body to to get a a walk to first base i strange things like that and I, i i did wonder in a way whether it was partly a sort of cultural fear of american sports being quite enclosed and therefore safe from outside intrusion at that point you didn't tend to have You know, people coming from Cuba and Puerto Rico as in, say, MLB, as as far as I could see, much. Um, So there was a sort of um, enclosed sense to American sports, and I I wonder whether, like in Australia, there was a a barrier that had to be broken down in terms of it being seen as a sport which is played by Americans rather than a sort of immigrant sport, perhaps. I know in Australia there was a lot of... um, Difficulty Breaking that down Really as well until about the 90s Maybe later The idea that um, Clubs would often in Australia Be uh, Yugoslavian Croatian, Serbian, Greek uh, And it would be the game for Immigrants, Australians played Aussie Rules Rugby League, uh, Rugby Union Cricket Uh, So uh, yeah I think there was something of that Perhaps a fear of the interloper Maybe this is also you know, trying to say this is the Hispanic sport uh, and, and American sports are different. I would assume that's pretty dead. I certainly haven't seen that sort of thing for a long time. Um, the notion of having to have high-scoring sports as well, I think I think, in a way, I don't know, I mean, obviously I'm the worst person ways to judge this, but I can't help thinking that that's a little bit reductionist to say that Americans need that. And I am say reductionist, I mean, reductionist partly by... Some parts of American media. Um, American sports people are as sophisticated as anybody else. They don't just go for the the cheer of the home run or the touchdown. There's more to the sport than that, and they know that as well as anybody else would. I find it slightly slightly strange to suggest otherwise. Um, There's a nice point actually in the moment uh with well, hang on let's see I'll go through all of these oh yes wisdom of Robert though says that the NHL's never been the same since they did away with the draw nothing worse than seeing the teams coast to get the tie point then fight for the extra point in overtime so I think as I, I hope I understand this right Robert um you get you get a point for a, a draw a tie but then you get to play again to get extra points to win and yeah so like well it's an even game let's just accept this and then push ourselves in overtime once we've all got the points at uh, one point each i mean i can imagine that being extremely galling but like extra time in football when teams are too scared to make a mistake and they accept penalties um so yeah a draw can be fun a draw can be good when you're three mil down you get a draw that feels fabulous um and I, I yeah i guess that's the british way of looking at it uh also that's why that's also you have cricket you know, if a cricket test match lasts five days, you three and a half days gone, and I know don't talk to me about the recent test matching and in played in Pakistan, because that was just insane. And unlike any cricket ever, um, that was amazing. But generally, three and a half days into a five day test match and you've lost and you somehow cling on and draw. That's a brilliant achievement. So. You know, a draw can be a wonderful thing. Maybe in Britain we're slightly more attuned to that because of having those sorts of sports. I, I don't know. Um, Britt Garner uh, says that I'm <laughs> I'm holding down the fort trying to fairly represent North American fans. We appreciate the nuances. I, I do hope so. I know I'm going to be ignorant in a lot of areas, but um, I, I think it's only fair to try and be even-handed. And he says, for me, scores are, are fun to watch in US football and basketball but um, a near miss on a goal in soccer gives a huge rush as well yeah i agree i've got to be honest i can see i can right basketball i can appreciate it as an amazing athletic endeavor and i can also appreciate it as an incredible aesthetic thing to look at on the screen Uh, i'm not denigrating basketball at all but i've never been able to get into it and i think ironically it's a reverse of this games have to be high scoring idea it, to me, it feels a little devalued that there's so many points. It seems to me that at the high level of basketball, the players are expected to score. And the important moment is when they fail to score. And that's so alien to me. I've never been able to get into it. That's, I'm, not, I'm not saying that means I'm right. Probably it's a failing on my part. Um, but I always remember when I was a little kid, Channel 4 started up in Britain. Its remit was to be different and it tried a lot of different sports. And one of them was they would show the final quarter of a British basketball game live on a Monday night. And I loved watching that. But I've got to be honest, the reason I watched it was because it was more like football, because they weren't very good. The British players weren't good. So most of the time they get the ball, they wouldn't score. These games were more low scoring. And to me, okay, attuned to the British way of doing things, when someone scored, it felt exciting, you know. I can tell you that you know Mullin scored a hat trick against Farnborough, and I find that that's that's the wavelength I'm on. Not somebody scored, you know, thirty points or whatever you, you could in in basketball. It is different mindset, isn't it? Really, um, and as well, I do quite like this actually. Eric Edens says, for me in Southern USA, it's always been weird. Uh, to the millions of people uh, that millions of people will watch cars go in hundreds of circles and love every second of it, but a nil nil soccer game is awful to them. I think that's a fair commentary to be fair. Oh <laughs> <coughs> I'm moving on before I get in trouble. Um uh, it's also pointing out as well, which I think touches on the point you've been making. In USA watching so- soccer is a bit counterculture to your average American um you're sorry your average American watching Wrexham is not your average American. I mean, I I agree, and that's why I get annoyed by the sort of cliches that people often talk, say about American football fans. Because in Britain, people will look down on that and try and make out it's some sort of comical thing where they don't know what they're talking about. They call it a soccer ball, and you know that sort of silly comment, which really annoys me, to be honest. But um, I I see it a different way in that I I. I've been to MLS games. Well, okay, one game, um, and it seems to me it was that New. It was a New York Red Bulls and New Jersey Red Bulls, and I thought the fan culture was amazing. And every time I've read about mls that's one of the things that really fascinates me when i look at videos or videos on copa 90 and things like that it is very much for people who want to embrace a slightly more idiosyncratic approach to following sport um and there's this healthy and i mean that in both pejorative and non-pejorative sense of the words um ultra culture to create atmosphere without the violent overtones which is really Impressive and is looking to take the best ideas from around the world and mix with their own ideas. And it is for me uh, uh, fascinating. And American football fans I mean, soccer uh, fascinated me anyway, way before Robin Ryan because to me, it was more people who wanted, who were a bit cultic- counterculture and a bit different, looking to find their way into this sport and find an interesting mixture between. Old world tradition and American approach, and and I really really like it. I think it's good. I think it's better than the old NASL, um, you know, sort of dancing girls and fireworks approach. Which in Britain, despite the fact that we poo poo uh, the idea of, of of America and North America have been able to contribute uh, at all to to, to soccer, uh, we copied. You had lots of cheerleaders in the '90s and the '80s, as if that somehow made it an occasion. Just that on its own, just ten poor scantily clad girls with pom-poms freezing in December in Scunthorpe was supposed to make it razzmatazzy. Um, if you don't understand something, you you, you you can't take the benefits from it is my argument. Anyway, I've, I've finished banging on about that and talking about America when I should say North America and I apologise. Let's move on, shall we? Okay, let's not move on, beg your pardon. Lee, I love this. I love this. I've been looking forward to answering this. What's a wanderer? (laughs) Yes. Foreign to us North American lions, tigers and bears. Right. Yes. Yes. Um, Very different sort of nomenclatures, aren't they, in North American sports and in British and then again in European sports. Right. There are general rules of thumb, but as always, that word I keep coming back to when I talk about football, idiosyncrasies. There's loads of idiosyncrasies in um, British sport and in football. So, usually a United will be a club which sometime back in the midst of the past has been formed from the amalgamation of more than one local team. Um, if I give you an example, Scunthorpe I just mentioned, they were called Scunthorpe and Lindsay United, which wasn't Scunthorpe and some woman. It, well, that's another little town nearby. Um, Bournemouth, who are in a Premier League now, AFC Bournemouth, used to be known as Bournemouth and Boscombe. So sometimes you'd have that sort of thing. So United often denotes that at some point more than one club's come together and the name they've agreed with is this, you know the town, United. Um, wanderers, and likewise Rovers teams of those sorts of names genuinely is as basic as they travel around they go around and play football so that it's as basic as that so Bolton Wanderers wander around the country taking their boots with them and playing footy um town I guess is self-explanatory isn't it Wrexham isn't encumbered by any of this stuff it's just Wrexham um the there are some quite strange ones as well uh true alexandra named after queen alexandra uh northwich victoria named after queen victoria obviously they were created at those points and decided they wanted to name themselves after them Uh, a bit like uh aberdeen bieber that's not a real team sorry i'm just being stupid uh, other names, oh, my mind's gone blank. What else was I thinking about? Oh, Charlton Athletic, you know, so Athletic will be like an athletic club, I suppose Wrexham, if you look at them, could be called Athletic. There was a brief spell where Wrexham had problems and had to sort of rename itself. This is going back over 100 years before the Football League days, uh, where we were called Wrexham Olympic. So again, I assume teams called Olympic were sort of trying to say we have certain links with the olympic ideals of exercise being a positive thing so it's it's that sort of thing are there any other ones i've missed out There are probably some really obvious ones uh, da, 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 da. Mm-hmm. oh um sheffield wednesday and the less well-known welsh team Abergavenny thursdays i believe are linked to Either work or training practices. I, 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 I should have checked this beforehand. Sheffield Wednesday, I think, were they made by apprentices at factories who had Wednesdays off? So they'd meet on Wednesday to play? I could be completely wrong, but it's something along those lines. Um, yeah, I think I'd better, I'd better leave it that rather than just sit here and go, ooh, hum, hum, who? I don't know Plymouth Argyle. I don't know. Argyle, I'm not sure about. A Scottish Argyle, isn't it? Why are they called that? Yeah. I do um, Aston Villa was named after a house in Aston, Birmingham. Uh, <laughs> that's, that seems reasonable enough, doesn't it, really? And then a lot of the clubs that are called AFC at the start, like AFC Halifax Town, AFC Telford United, AFC Bournemouth, um, tend to be teams that have had a problem, have gone out of business and have then had to restart They're often allowed to restart at the same level, or slightly lower down, but they have got to change their name. It's an FA rule, it's a different company, and so they may retain their players, but they have to change their name. So Telford United went out of business, became AFC Telford United. Um, Chester, by the way, were Chester City, and when they went out of business, reformed as Chester, and were dropped down a few leagues now to fight their way back up again. So... Yeah, well that's, that's it, I think, really. Um the Welsh team Airbus are well, was started off as the works team for the Airbus factory, which is in Broaddon near Wrexham. Um, oh, TNS, the dominant team in the Welsh League, were called the new, were, no, <coughs> were called Flansand Fried because they were in the tar- village of Flansand Fried on Mechan. They were bought up. ...by a wealthy chap who worked in IT... ...the IT company... ...and so he bought them... ...moved them... ...and gave them the name... ...Total Network Solutions... ...which was his company's name... ...then there was a rule passed... ...that you can't have advertising... you know, in, ...as the name of a club... ...so they kept the TNS... ...and they're now the new Saints... ...because the previous nickname... ...was the Saints... ...the Bears, Lions etc... ...has never caught on in Britain... ...as such... ...in football it hasn't at least... But you do see it in other British sports, and I think this links to what I said about pom-poms and cheerleaders, or we'll we'll just take something from American sports because somehow they feel it gives it a little bit of glamour and glitz, which I I don't think is totally linked up. Um, So rugby league has always been a traditional working-class northern sport, uh, rebranded itself as as a summer sport with a super league, And the teams all changed their names. So, for example, Leeds became the Leeds Rhinos. There are no Rhinos in Leeds. I mean, why? I don't get it. Cricket did the same. Cricket's had an interesting sort of 20 years where it's developed new, more fast format, fast, more exciting, dramatic formats of the game. And so Lancashire County Cricket Club, the traditional team that play in front of 20 people, uh, all wearing whites, um, we'll also have their short format teams um, L- Lancashire Lightning with bright red kit with lightning on it and, yeah, and they're playing at night in front of much bigger clouds, crowds under the floodlights It's it feels like a different game and the approach is different and the nature of it is different as well so so that has crept in in some sports but it hasn't in football to be honest All Right, let's move along Tofa I keep hearing Muds County back on top but not too worried about that um, how many times do we say that before we are worried Fust, fussed? Sorry, I misread that. Uh, that is me. that is my fault. I'm really confident we're going to win a league. And so I do keep saying that. I do accept that is a valid point, tofer. Not County are continuing to stick with us. Um, I still feel that they'll come a point where we'll burn them off and start to open up a gap. I think it might take a little bit longer, not least because we've got a much tougher run of games coming up than they have so you know we'll have to stick at it for a bit but i do think over the course of the year i think we'll have too much for them plus it looks like they've got quite a battle in january to hang on to their superstar striker who scored so many goals uh long staff because there's a football league team sniffing after him and unlike us i don't think they have the financial muscle to say well if you offer half a million for paul mullen we're going to say no um, but that's a fair comment though it's a fair comment they are putting up an excellent scrap um i am slightly surprised as we have done very well um on similar grounds uh, tony hang on i'm sorry i keep leaning across the screen like this tony shall beg your pardon tony you can read your name then says are losing ground we drew against york while nots had a convincing win all right well my default position is no because i just genuinely think that over the course of a season we will open up a gap um also i would strongly argue that that's just one weekend, and I think I saw someone else tweeting in reply to this, that over the last five games, count have dropped more points than we have. Um, no, I don't feel overly concerned by that. That's just one weekend, isn't it? Although there are other issues that we need to have a little think about. Jeff Lang, for example, points out, well, he suggests that we're not a team at the moment that would give you confidence in the playoffs. A team happy to play with the ball on the floor at home, but don't seem to have the confidence to do the same away. And we will look at this in a moment because there's other issues about um, home and away form. So I'll address those as well, Jeff, and then come back to your point because um, Rex American Idiot says, not overly concerned but it's definitely become a tale of two streaks home versus away. An unlucky streak is harder to break psychologically. We need to find our away mojo in the second half of the season. I agree with that, totally. I would argue that our away form might be... I think we've had harder games away from home than at home as well. And I think as well that the remarkable rhythm we've struck up at home has made good away form look inferior because it's not as good as the home form, so I don't feel overly worried by it. I feel like the Boreham Wood game was a bit of a breakthrough. I thought that was the point where in away games we started to play a bit more like our normal selves. Now I admit that since then we haven't necessarily been racking up the points. We drew at wheelstone and that was a bit of an off day I agree but we looked. Unlike in other away games where we looked a little vulnerable, we never looked like conceding a goal that match. It was just whether we could nick one. Um, Likewise, I thought really at York where, you know, (laughs) O'Connor scores and is like, great, we've won. Brilliant. And then a deflection means we haven't. Uh, So a little bit of misfortune there, perhaps. I think it's going to click more and I think there will be a lot of games against teams nearer the bottom of the table coming up and away from home where we will start to rack those up. Um, Spitball idea don't know how to explain the away struggles i have to think parkey figures it out soon as long as we keep picking up points i still think we're in a strong position this season up the reds yes i totally agree um spitball idea i personally i would not say struggles i would say as rex american idiot suggests not really concerned um yeah yeah not overly concerned it is something but it's not something to be too concerned by it's not struggles I would say yet. Yeah. We've only lost two games when we away from home this season. Um going back to Jeff though, he said about um not a team that I'd give confidence in the playoffs. Jeff, I totally follow what you're saying there. Uh, let's just avoid the playoffs by winning it is my argument. Also remember, alright, what if we don't win the league? We're still gonna have to finish fourth to have an away playoff at any point. So you know that great home form. You know, we—I assume—if we don't win the league, we ought, looking at the gap between us and fourth already, to be having a home semi-final to get into the final. But I don't want after last season. I don't want. I don't. Want, I think Wrexham have managed to ingrain culturally the idea that playoffs are horrible and something goes wrong. So let's avoid that. Yeah. Now then, Matt Chappert says, "Can you talk about the Triple A highlights?" I'm a supporter of a League One club, and I wish we had something like it. They're awesome. Yes, they are awesome. Um, now, Amy Davis produces those. And she does an absolutely outstanding job. Uh, I'll tell you, I'll tell you uh, for me, a real measure of their quality. You go back to before we Welcome to Wrexham, when, when our figures across YouTube got boosted. Triple A was still performing at the levels it is now pretty much. I mean, it's had a bit of a boost, but it was already massively popular because it is so, so good. Absolutely brilliant. I think, Matt, in some ways, it shows that even when we're talking about big professional clubs, uh, you still need people with the vision and the imagination and the skills to carry that sort of thing out. And luckily with Amy, we have because you know there's a lot of clubs with with professional media team members who are not producing stuff like that um yes absolutely i've spoken to amy and amy actually offered to come on the podcast which is a brilliant idea i said don't because i was about to do it half an hour after she contacted me i'd then been a bit under the weather so i apologize amy i probably could have had you on this however um i did say to her that i think maybe it would be better if on dragonheart or something like that we actually devote a, a proper section looking at triple a and the process and her her reasons for doing it, her backgrounds and her skills but yes matt you're exactly right i mean it's broadcast quality i'm an amateur i mean come on look at this look at this setup i'm doing my best but i'm an amateur and i'm leaning across all the time to look at my screen because i can't see it properly because i've set her up wrong you know amy's not an amateur it's it's a professional broadcast quality uh piece of work and it's brilliant absolutely brilliant and i'm just delighted that we have something like that which can really draw people into the club in a different way than a documentary does massive massive um kudos to her and massive kudos to colin henry's ollie williams who who you know sort of like were able to facilitate it uh it's just it's just quality quality stuff and a delight um Tim K says what's your favorite place on the road to do commentary at um compare <laughs> right that is a great question well I've seen a few um I've done it at big grounds I mean obviously in terms of facilities Wembley is quite nice uh, oh you should get free grub there as well can't argue with that not that I'm obsessed with food or anything um <laughs> Sometimes it's the welcome that you get. Some clubs are incredibly friendly. Uh, so let's that. I miss going to Kidderminster, where you'd be at the back of the main stand. Wasn't that big a stand? And there were always idiosyncratic characters. Next time Andy Parkinson's commentating with us, uh, give us a prod, Tim. Tim or Tom, Tim, because we'll, we'll reminisce about. We've had some odd experiences at Kidderminster with the fans in front of us with scaffolding, falling onto the pit, all sorts of strange things. But favourite away ground is a tricky one. And weirdly, the, the less favourite ones come to mind more easily. Um, I don't know. Wow, this is useless, isn't it? Kidderminster's starting to feel like it might be the one I go for, you know? Um, I quite like Tranmere because it's, it's nice and high up and in a weird way I value things like the size of you know the amount of real estate I get on the desk, am I cramped, am I squashed trying to fit all the equipment on, Tranmere is quite spacious, old fashioned but spacious, uh, I'll tell you what another very weird one is Gateshead which is a small club with a a pitch at an, at an athletic stadium so the view of the pitch is poor there's a running track going around it but it used to be it's, it's Gateshead International Athletic Stadium. It used to be one of the main places in the '80s when um, Britain had a load of brilliant middle distance runners. Uh, where they would show all these big athletics meets live on terrestrial TV on a Friday night. Seb Co, Steve Ovette, Steve Cram. It was a massive sort of cultural place in my childhood. Gateshead, you know, being on the TV, um, and the facilities are weird because it's got the most enormous press boxes, boxes that you could imagine, Um, but they're sort of underpopulated because there's like six, 700 people there and there's big stadium and and you don't need that much space for the press. So I've had private booths at Gateshead and then sometimes I've been in the crowd and they're very friendly. You know, what? I'm going Gateshead. I'm going Gateshead, Gateshead Kidderminster. I'll think more about this and probably come up with something completely different. Um, I've, been, I've done Sheffield United once, and that was good. Again, old-fashioned, big facilities. But the reason that sticks in my head is somebody phoned me up halfway through, and I thought it was a local radio station I was reporting for, and somebody tried to order a pizza off me. So, you know, that sticks in my head. I'll think more about this, and I'm sure I'll come up with some more. All right, Jared, I Jared Phelan. Uh, we were talking about Afterburners. And he said, who's the fastest Drexel player you've ever seen live? Right, now then, here's some questions. Because my I'd be answered this on at the time, and I suggested Kevin Russell in his first spell for Wrexham was incredibly fast with the ball at his feet. He scored a lot of goals in two seasons for Wrexham, um, and then left and went to Leicester. And he was a cracking player. Rooster was Kevin Russell. Um, I also suggested Chris Armstrong, who went on to play for Spurs, and Crystal Palace, who was remarkably fast, bursting down the line. But we had some good suggestions as well. Um, Gavin France says, Lee Jones was very fast he certainly was Lee Jones a real whippet incredibly fast made his reputation as a teenager in cup ties like when he scored at West Ham and as a result got a big move to Liverpool so he was a very very fast player Jeff Lang said Brian Tinian was lightning young pups won't remember him well Jeff I'm afraid then by my definition your definition and this is something I didn't expect to say call me a young pup I don't remember Brian Tinian I'm aware of him in fact my PTG to talk about him loads Talking about him dribbling down the wing. He used to say if he left the gate open, he'd dribble off the pitch and down the the hill into town because um, he loved having the ball so much. But uh, yes, I mean, uh, people talk great things about Tinian, who went off and played in the NASL, of course, afterwards. with a lot of star players. As did Harvon Griffiths, Wrexham's legendary manager and player. But uh, yes, there have been some great fast players we've had. You know, pace is such an asset. I mean, not just strikers. Aaron Hayden's very quick at the moment at the back. I you mean, know, he can really move. Um, but yeah, it's a piece is such a key attribute. Blind Ref, we talked about um acceptable kit. Somebody said, can you wear a, a cowboy hat? And he cleared it up saying player can wear a cowboy hat as long as it's not dangerous. I think any hat would be suitable, but we draw the line at any Lady Gaga outfits. Oh, I don't know, a little snack at half time, Pull a bit of bacon off. I think that sounds reasonable to me. <coughs> Tim Burke says he wants Layton to be playing in a cowboy hat if Wrexham visit the US this summer. What a beautiful idea that is, eh? Um Key Scotty, any news on a levelling up fund? Honest answer, no. It's just to know. Hands of the government. They will decide when they feel like it, or they might just ignore it, or they might do whatever. This is not a government which, which shall we say makes orthodox decisions or does things in an orthodox manner. It might not exist anymore. Who knows? Let's hope it does, and let's hope we get it. Um Martin Legg. Uh, time now. He's asking this in the York game. Time for more long shots, um, hoping to get rebounds or be patient and clever. Right? I would say Martin, and I, I'm happy to be shot down on this, but my tactical view of this is teams in general wouldn't look at long shots as an option. I can see how in other sports that might work, but um, in football the problem is the offside rule. So if you're going to shoot from distance that probably means there aren't good options ahead of you and it probably means the opposing defense has pushed up quite a long way and that means that if you shoot and it does bounce off the defender the goalkeeper there's a decent chance that the goalkeeper will be able to recover and get to the ball because the defense is high up to the strikers because the offside will have to be further out again um, I would say football teams generally don't look at that as an option. Generally, I would say that within football, if you restrict teams to shots outside the box, you, you will feel that you've done well. Fact, that's really that, that's, I mean, what I'm saying when I'm talking about Rexham at Wheels and Rexmate York. We didn't concede many real clear-cut chances because to me a clear-cut chance is working and opening close enough where you've got a good chance of scoring. Um, You'll have seen XG as something which has come into play in the last three, four years. An idea of from each point of the pitch in each situation, what's the, what is the actual chance of you scoring and xg goes down enormously as you get further away from goal um so i would say that in general in football people would see that as more an act of desperation to be trying long range shots unless certain circumstances where you might fancy it if it's very wet the ball might be slippery they might think it's going to come off the keeper if it's if there's a strong wind behind you i've definitely seen players shooting from further out than you'd expect simple more often simply because they think with the wind behind them or a crosswind that might deceive the goalkeeper that they might cause some problems and footballs have got a lot lighter as time's gone on they wobble more speaking as a goalkeeper myself and in my old days yeah um, I was maybe lucky I, I didn't really play when the ball got as light as it is now There's certain sort of configurations of balls especially in the world cups where they were so light they really would shift around and people would be trying pot shots from distance because it was difficult for goalkeepers when you see goalkeepers punching the ball away when you think they could probably have caught it when it's a shot often it's because and in europe maybe a little more than britain although coaching is changing now um a lot of goalkeepers are coached don't take the chance of trying to catch it and fumbling it just just get behind it and get your fists behind it and get it away don't, don't bother about trying to grab it something which commentators don't like and fans don't like often um, but yeah I'd say generally oh the other thing of course you might have a player with a great shot on I mean Rex we've got Jordan Davis we've got Luke Young these are players who can drill it from distance so they those players might fancy taking it on more um, but generally yeah it's if their goalie looks dicey if the goalie looks a bit weak you might try and test it back a few times make him make a few saves see what he's like generally i would say as a a manager usually if a player is taking long shots you know they might say why are you doing that um if you've got a game plan just because it's wet doesn't mean that you shouldn't stick to your game plan and try some sort of freak tactic hoping it'll come off let's see when i said wet before i don't know if people do have that much wind I, i have seen players definitely having a go because they're thinking the wind's behind me the wall might wobble around I might have a chance I've definitely seen players do that Um, Thane Emerus I can never say your name and I do apologize Bertine um, now this is very flattering to me word perfect Shakespearean quotations I did throw in some Roman Juliet the other week but I paraphrased it so I've got to say I'm sorry but you're flattering me there Um, mini monologues in French natural Mark Griffiths is commentating as something else it's not commentating hey the question the forefront of the minds of two dirt-tired Cambridge, Massachusetts residents, can he narrate half a minute of football in Welsh? And I'm, I'm, I'm ashamed to say no. My Welsh is very rudimentary. My wife's first language is Welsh, and um, she tries to tell me it's better than I think, but I really don't think it is. So I could have a stab at French, German and Spanish, but shamefully, my own language is not something I'm confident in. I, I, I believe... I can't pick up my accent, my own accent, um, and I don't tend to pick up Wrexham accents, I've found this, I don't know if it's me or just general, you don't recognise your own accent as much as alien accents if you will, um, I, I'm told I sound very Welsh, and one instance where this happened and made me a bit sad if I'm honest with you, is that I, years ago I was commentating at Chesterfield, and at half time a chap sitting behind me tapped me on the shoulder and started to talk to me in Welsh and I didn't know what he was saying to me and it turned out he was a producer on S4C, the Welsh Language Channel's football programme Scorio, which is brilliant and uh, you know when I was in university it would show all the Italian Spanish games when they weren't on British television anywhere else. I got a little community of my mates hooked on it because they never got to watch European football and there it was as long as you didn't mind it being in Welsh commentary every Monday night there'd be an hour of highlights it was a wonderful show still going now focuses more on Welsh domestic football now not totally and um, it turned out he he was a producer at Scorio and he was saying he assumed from my accent that I spoke Welsh and was offering me a job on Scorio I'd have loved that but I can't speak Welsh sadly I I can say Dwi'n halfy coffee so you know if I become homeless I can say I'd like a coffee but beyond that I'm afraid I'm, I'm limited my wife tries to say nice things and big me up but Neil of course Neil Williams on the commentary team he is a fluent Welsh speaker as you can see when he does a Quivan and terminal our Welsh language podcast but I'm afraid I'm ashamed to say I don't really even have conversational Welsh I can I can get through it Spanish German French but yeah my own language shamefully is the, the one I struggle with that is not good. Um, Chris Johnson uh, <laughs> could I bring back the world famous um, players versus fans versus cats score prediction we used to do mixed in with a pork pie knockout championship obviously with no harm to the cats well obviously I- I'm a big cat fan uh, I used to have some of my cats who would do a-, a weekly prediction tournament where I'd get a player to predict the results of three games that the coming weekend a fan to do likewise and then one of my cats, where I'd put three bowls of meat out, uh, one would signify home win, one would be a draw, one would be a way win, and um, whichever one they ate from first. Um, got to say, Chris, and thank you, Chris, for your loyalty, sir, and I think you've asked this before, uh, a while ago. Um, I think it's reasonable to say it had a very small, loyal band of supporters. Um, it, it used to sort of, I'll be honest with you, it frustrates me a lot, but I used to love doing them. They tended to get 300 people watching them at best and the figures dipped as it went along and I, like, it demoralised me a little bit. Maybe I should try it again. I don't know. Um, poor Mystic Stufa because the cats are no longer with us sadly. But Mystic Stufa was my favourite um, because he was magical. He was very good at guessing the scores. He had only had one eye, bless him. We got him from the rescue as we do all our cats. And he was an absolute flaming legend. And I used to put weird sort of spooky music in the background when he came, when he approached the, the dishes because he was Mystic Stufa and he knew what was going to happen in the future. Different story altogether. I'm tempted. I'm tempted. Um, Barcode Mark Any news on Max Cleworth He hasn't had a game in ages Well to be fair Mark asked this question Last Saturday And since then Max has been given A contract extension I think it's purely To give him a bit of a rest Um, He has done brilliantly He is a massive prospect For the future And he is clearly of The the sort of stuff That will work In higher divisions Max is very much A a prospect For the future He's had more First team experience Than I think anybody Anticipated including him At this point in his career And therefore I think the club Would decide with a there that they can give him a bit of a break and just let him settle a bit you don't want to overexpose a player he had a couple of games near the end before they gave him a break where things maybe weren't quite going right So to be fair to him i don't think it was necessarily his performance as much as the shape we were playing was was asking a lot and goals were coming in on this side of the pitch i don't think it was particularly his fault but he, he he might start taking it to heart i think it was sensible to give him a little rest um but he'll be back and he'll be back a lot for Wrexham. he's a brilliant player brilliant prospect lovely lad and oh now martin bradshaw i think was, this is a director i think at rex may have seen more than me um when you're going to v- sort the facilities in the ground so that fans can actually buy a drink or food without waiting 30 minutes plus at half time and missing the match well Martin look firstly I'm not qualified to answer this but I do think there's a a response I can make which would be reasonable uh, and the club would be happy with which is um, we've grown quicker than our facilities Um, as we've talked about this before and Sean Harvey did in that interview with Dragonite he did last season the scaling up of Wrexham Football Club is pretty much unprecedented from going from a non-league team to a team of massive international interest and the club are suddenly is selling out constantly the race course is a place we love and a huge part of the fabric of Wrexham Football Club but the infrastructure is poor um, there's no way of getting around that and uh, you may have noticed I'm sure that after takeover one of the first things that Robin Ryan did was put money into the concourses to try to improve it but still um, it, it's it is a genuine case of you know when when the stands were built, apart from the uh, Macron stands, which is newer, there was no real thought of monetizing the crowd. It was just a place to watch footy and you could have a snack or get a drink at some point. Uh, and so that that is the issue, is the infrastructure. Now, building the new COP will not only offer new infrastructure, I think it will also give scope to improve infrastructure in other parts of the ground because things which are currently those stands could be transferred to new facilities in the cop giving more scope to improve the experience of fans who are looking for refreshments um so it is a case of when we had 3,000 people coming to games you were all right and now there's 10,000 and sadly that's put the system under strain a little bit and it's not really to be fair the club's fault it's it's infrastructure which needs to be improved and the owners are clearly aware of that and and clearly already have addressed parts of it and will address it more uh, as time goes on and Edward Walker. Oh, a Waller Walker. I'm gonna to have to creep right in here. Walker. I'm going. Um, I just showed that was it season nine seven four. Is it uh, in Qatar, which is made out of um, packing cases? And Pamela R.W.K. Uh, looks at that because he'd said is it worth sending to Coventry and she said I feel so badly for Coventry she says he thank God for the passion and foresight of people of Wrexham and wisdom to invest in the racecourse." what do you think Mark Griffiths 100% agree, I have a feel for Coventry had a horrible time travelling from pillar to post, uh, that stadium of course is going to be dismantled and put up somewhere else uh, decision not been made yet I believe Uruguay are looking at it as part of their 2030 World Cup bid but does not any decision been made yeah it's a horrible situation for Coventry and we are very fortunate at Wrexham, and that, that that's twofold, isn't it? Really, the trust and the fans in protecting the ground, and then a massive stroke of fortune or reward for the good work that's been done. That then Rob and Ryan have stepped in and properly protected it. But we could easily have lost the racecourse. The racecourse could easily, easily, be uh, you know sort of garden centre or something now, and it's it's due to the the fans who battled in the dark times that it isn't right i reckon that's all of them that was a marathon um ask raxham wasn't it no there's one last one i beg your pardon trey Campmire says having seen a lot of social media about the raxham ladies and the great performances late uh, recently great to see ryan and rob's support uh, the gals my question is do they play in the same league as the men and do the clubs in the national league all have women's teams no one, no i think somebody put that as an answer i must seem to remember and um, no <clears throat> not all national league teams love women's teams women's football sadly is something developing it's well it's had a boom lately but it's 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 been developing fairly slowly for a number of years and um, gladly a lot of the moronic prejudice is now being beaten down and frankly north american women's football i would argue is a a, a more progressed stage of development than british women's football and Welsh football lags behind English football, I think, in terms of infrastructure. Um so certainly no, a lot of national league teams won't have women's teams. some women's teams are not attached to um men's teams as well, although in Britain they tend to be. Not always. Isn't there a there aren't there a couple or there were a couple of teams in the Premier women's Premier League who are not uh linked to a men's football club. Um I don't know the weird thing that um real madrid rather than a women's team bought an existing successful team who had the, the the remarkable name um las tacones altas the high heels and just rebranded them as real madrid there's, there's a lot to unpack in that one um but no a lot of teams don't um and in terms of structure it's totally different Rex and women are in the welsh pyramids not the English pyramids so Wrexham are in playing in the English system the women are playing men the women are playing in the Welsh system which in itself is like I said developing and still in a fairly nascent stage so we're in the second division last season if we would got promoted that was our first season in that system uh, we would have turned down promotion because we need to continue working on the infrastructure of the club ourselves for the women's side of it Um, but exciting times for the women's team and it'll only become more exciting as Rob and Ryan continue with the club. Right, that is it now. That was long, wasn't it? Oh, I need to lie down. Right, it's always a pleasure. Remember, Eastleigh on Saturday, so get those Ask Wrexhams in again and a special request as well. We had a few World Cup ones, so we'll do an extra World Cup Ask Wrexham on anything, whether it's linked to Wrexham or it's not linked to Wrexham. That doesn't matter. We'll do an extra Ask Wrexham podcast on the World Cup. So any of those, please send those in. That would be fantastic. So, see you soon, muchachos. I'm Al Griffiths from Wrexham AFC. Adios. This is the Final Whistle Podcast from the Wrexham AFC media team.